Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Get smart. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, I sure hope you're enjoying this refreshing warm weather. Here in South Bend, Northern Indiana, Southwest Michigan on this Thursday. May the 4th of 2023. I'm Darren Pritchett. This is Sportsbeat live on 960 AM WSBT. You can also pick up our broadcast with our live streams at WSBTradio.com and with our free WSBT radio app. A video stream of the program currently available right now on the Twitch app. Eight minutes after five o'clock. And we've got about an hour and 40 minutes to talk sports with you here on WSBT Radio. Our hat trick of opening topics seconds away. Also coming up, we've spent a little time this week talking about the college football playoffs after the 2024 season when the playoffs go to 12 teams. We're going to talk more about that today and again using the 2022 rankings that the committee put together. We will put those teams in a bracket and we'll try to figure out if it still would have been Georgia and TCU at the end of that particular tournament. Would they have been on the same side of the bracket? We'll explain coming up here in just a little bit. Also, our Twitter question of the day is available right now on my Twitter account at 960Sportspeed. We'll give you the results of yesterday's question. Coming up in the 6 o'clock hour, right at 6 o'clock, we'll be joined by Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Six commitments in about 11 days for Marcus Freeman and the Fighting Irish. We will talk about three of those 
with Mike. Also, he has news that Notre Dame has offered not one, but two high-end quarterbacks in the class of 2026. He'll bring you all the details on those QBs coming up in our recruiting segment at 6 o'clock here on WSBT Radio. Also in the 6 o'clock hour, we'll wrap up the show. And with our partnership with Mishawaka High School, we'll bring you some more insight on the Caveman Athletic Department as we talk to Brian Miller, the softball coach at Mishawaka High School. The Lady Caveman are 7-0 in the Northern Lakes Conference, so we'll talk some softball with Brian right around, I'd say, 6.30 here on WSBT Radio. So let's get to it. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We're going to give you a bonus hat trick of opening topics today. We're going to go Joe Pavelski on you. Who's Joe Pavelski? If you're not a hockey fan, a veteran Dallas Stars player who had four goals two nights ago. Normally we have the hat trick of opening topics, three topics, but we're expanding it to four, so we'll call it a Pavelski today. Some Notre Dame basketball news popped up this afternoon. Micah Shrewsbury, four commitments in four days. It started with his son, Braden Shrewsbury, then Kerry Booth, then Logan Imes, all players committed to Coach Shrewsbury at Penn State. He's now bringing them to South Bend. And today the Irish got a 2024 commitment from a 6'5 shooting guard, out of Bloomington Central Catholic in Bloomington, Illinois, Cole Serta, C-E-R-T-A. I've heard a little bit about Serta. Got some friends who live in Bloomington and watched him play. Very explosive player, outstanding three-point shooters. Got good size on the perimeter. Last year at Bloomington Central Catholic, averaged 18.8 points per game. On three recruiting service has served as the 178th best player in the class of 2024. If I remember correctly, he led BCC to the state championship in their class last year during a little March Madness in the state of Illinois. So Cole Serta has picked Notre Dame today, 2024 commit, a 6'5 shooting guard out of Bloomington, Illinois. Neil Ivey and the Irish women's basketball team added a depth piece to their front line. It is 6-2 forward Becky Obinma, O-B-I-N-M-A. She is a grad transfer from Pepperdine. She has played in 79 career games, 42 starts, averaging five points and 4.2 rebounds per game. She joins Anna DeWolf as a grad transfer into this Notre Dame program during the offseason. DeWolf from Fordham, outstanding guard of the A-10. So those two players join what is an extremely talented roster. And all of a sudden, Notre Dame's got some options along the front line. Of course, Lauren Ebo was with the program last year, a grad transfer. You've got a freshman in Emma Risch at 6'2". Cassandra Prosper, a guard, but she's at 6'2". You've got 6'3", senior Maddie Westbelt, 6'4", senior Kylie Watson, 6'5", senior Nat Marshall. And now add 
Obenma to that front line that's got some pretty decent height going into next year. So that's your bonus hat trick of opening topic for tonight's program. Now let's get to the main three topics we chose today. We're going away from football for one day. We have been really football heavy for over a month now, so we'll go just a a tad bit of a different direction tonight. I want to start and talk to Chicago Cub fans for a moment. This has been long overdue. I don't know what goes into the decision-making by the Cubs front office, but this has seemed like a no-brainer for quite some time. It's apparently happening. The Cubs have not confirmed this yet, but first baseman Matt Mervis is going to be called up by the Cubs and likely will be in uniform when the Cubs take on the Florida Marlins at Wrigley Field tomorrow afternoon. I mentioned this when the Cubs signed veteran first baseman Eric Hosmer during the offseason. He's just not a winning player anymore. A foundation piece of the Kansas City Royals run they had almost a decade ago, winning a world championship in 2014, was a terrific left-handed bat for Kansas City. Was a good glove. All those goods have diminished the last couple of years. He has bounced around among various teams. Now, the Cubs picked him up off the scrap heap as the Padres are still eating his contract as part of the Juan Soto deal. So they got him for over $700,000, which is nothing in today's baseball. But you got Trey Mancini, and you had Mervis coming, so I never quite understood why they thought Hosmer was a good addition, especially you got Patrick Wisdom, who can play first base. If you were worried about Mancini producing offensively to stay at first base full time, you could always move wisdom over to first base. And that would free up Chris Morrell, who is destroying AAA pitching at Iowa to play third base, but they want him more as a utility guy. Okay. So Hosmer, he might get released tomorrow. That could be part of the equation. We'll we'll save that conversation for a moment. Let's focus on the guy that's coming up Matt Mervis, who started last year with the South Bend Cubs. And between South Bend, AA Tennessee, AAA Iowa, he crushed 36 home runs and established himself as a player that's going to help the Chicago Cubs. I'm not sure when he arrived in South Bend, there was that much buzz about Mervis, but there is now. He's 25 years old. He has no position flexibility. He's a first baseman. That's it. But a left-handed power bat. It is tough to find lefty power bats. That's why I was not a fan of the Cubs walking away from Kyle Schwarber. They did. But Matt Mervis is probably going to be a big part of this lineup as they begin their ascend back up the National League Central. Mervis at Iowa in 24 games this spring, hitting 286 with a 402 on base percentage. His slugging 560, which means his OPS is a whopping 962. In those 24 ball games, six long balls and 27 knocked in. 
Now, I'm not sure what this means for Trey Mancini. Maybe it's a platoon at first base. Maybe they spend a little more time with Mancini being the designated hitter. Whatever the case may be, you're not bringing up this guy to sit him. If you want him to get at bats and he's not going to play in Chicago, leave him in Iowa. Keep him in rhythm. So there's no question to me they're bringing him up to play him. So what do the Cubs do with their roster? First off, here's the good news for Jed Hoyer. The 40-man roster has a spot open, so they do not have to put somebody on the 60-day injured list or release them, designate them for assignment. Mervis can go right onto the 40-man roster. There's a spot available. So that's easy. But now we get to the Cubs' 26-man roster. Who do you get rid of off the roster? Do you eliminate one relief pitcher for a short time to open up a spot for Mervis? I would say no, especially after Talion came back from the injured list today, only went three innings. I would think they're going to need that extra arm. So I'm going to say no to taking down a pitcher. So who do you take off from a positional standpoint? Well, to me, there are three main options. If Mervis is coming up tomorrow, who's going to go? First off, the likely end of this story is Hosmer gets released. Again, I just call him a guy that's not a winning player today. The analytics show he's a break-even player. So Hosmer, to me, if I'm the Cubs... I release him. You don't have much invested in him. You could also keep Hosmer on the roster, and you could option one of two players to AAA Iowa. This is a coin flip for me. You could option Edwin Rios or the infielder Nick Madrigal. I'm not a Madrigal fan. That would be my choice. But only after you release Eric Hosmer. So that's the decision the Cubs have to make tomorrow. 26-man roster. Mervis goes on. Hosmer goes. Designated for assignment. Rios to the minors. Madrigal to the minors. Or maybe a relief pitcher goes down to the minors. But most importantly, Matt Mervis is going to lengthen a lineup that has struggled the last two weeks. The Cubs are 3-9 and nine in their last 12 contests. During those 12 games, they are averaging 3.5 runs a game. And hitting with runners in scoring position, not good. In the last 12 games, the Cubs are hitting 180 in that situation. Today against the Woeful Nationals, they scored three times. And the Nationals took three out of four from the Cubs in the nation's capital. So Cub fans, finally it's happening. Matt Mervis is probably going to be placed, let's say, in the six-hole tomorrow. Don't put too much pressure on him. Don't put him too high in the lineup. Let him get settled at the major league level, and if he keeps popping the baseball like he has in the minors the last two years, you can always move him up in the lineup. Matt Mervis reportedly coming to Chicago tomorrow. Our second hat trick of opening topics for tonight is also on baseball. And I just want to give you something to think about. 
with the Angels playing the Cardinals the last three days. In particular, last night, I had the chance to watch a full game of Shohei Otani, the great Japanese two-way player of the Los Angeles Angels, an incredible right-handed starting pitcher, and an amazing left-handed power bat. He's going to become a free agent after this season. He's probably not going back to the Angels. And you're probably thinking the same thing I am. Only the major market teams are going to put a bid on him. In fact, it's looked like the L.A. Dodgers have been clearing out some money to go after Otani during the offseason. But how much do you pay Shohei Otani? Let me give you a little background information. First off, Otani became just the second player in Major League Baseball history with 500 career strikeouts as a pitcher and belting 100 career home runs. Otani joins Babe Ruth on that exclusive list. Now, just in one game last night against St. Louis, he was the starting pitcher and batted third. That's like something you see in Little League. This is the big leagues. And Otani last night went three for five with two singles, a double, a run scored, and an RBI. Now, as a starting pitcher, he had a rare off night, gave up a couple of home runs, five innings, five hits, four in runs, but one walk and matched his career high with 13 strikeouts. You could take a look at his numbers as a pitcher, and you could say Justin Berlander, Max Scherzer, that's the type of pitcher he is. Well, let me remind you, Scherzer with the New York Mets got a three-year, $130 million contract. His average annual value, $43.3 million. Otani's offensive production is Mike Trout-esque. Mike Trout, a couple of years ago with the Angels, got 12 years, $426 million. His average annual value, $35.5 million. So if he is Max Scherzer on the mound and Mike Trout in the batter's box, what should he get? Now, this is not realistic, but if you combine those two players, his average annual value for his contract would be $88.8 million. That's his worth. If you compare his talents to those two individuals, that's what they make per year, $88.8 million. Now, that's not going to happen. Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer with the Mets, both are making over $40 million just as starting pitchers. So doesn't the value start there? Is this a guy that should make $60 million per year when you factor in his amazing bat he brings to the table? This is going to be a fascinating storyline to see play out during the offseason. Only the big boys are going to be involved. The Yankees, I assume with Mr. Cohen, with the Mets, you can't rule him out necessarily, although it doesn't seem likely. The Dodgers are going to be involved. The Cubs probably have the money, but that just doesn't seem like a Cub move. 
We know Jerry Reinsdorf sure the heck's not going to do it. So it could be just Red Sox, Yankees, Mets, Dodgers going after Otani. And could his average annual value be $60 million? It could. It realistically could. And you know what? Many people would say that's a bargain. By the way, he's got a 254 ERA this year. It went up significantly last night. His whip, 0.87. He's hitting 307 with a 365 on base, seven homers, 19 RBI. His OPS is 918. You combine his war between a pitcher and a hitter, it's already 3.4. 2.1 as a hitter, 1.3 as a starting pitcher. So you tell me, what do you think his actual worth is and could he get anywhere close to it we just have not seen a free agent like this this is going to be an historic offseason following Shohei Otani all right 527 at WSBT and we are going to wrap up our hat trick of opening topics with a different sort of topic today is May 4th may the 4th be with you it's Star Wars Day across the world and i have put together my rankings 11 through 1 from the star wars series let's see if we agree or disagree on some of these number 11 bottom of the barrel this did not work for me it came out a couple of years ago solo a story of han solo how he came to be han solo it didn't work for me because the actor playing solo didn't look anywhere close to him, didn't act like him, didn't sound like him, didn't have the attitude of Solo in the main films. The character just didn't work for me. It wasn't believable that was Han Solo, so that's why it's 11. 10, Attack of the Clones. It was the love story of Anakin Skywalker and Queen Amidala. Very slow-moving characters. I didn't think they had a lot of chemistry. Number 9, Phantom Menace. This should have been one of the best with the storyline of finding out how Darth Vader became Darth Vader, but it was just a very slow-moving plot. Number eight, one of the more recent movies I just did not like, The Last Jedi. Not a great story, wasn't clever, not exciting. We didn't learn a whole lot in between The Force Awakens and The Rise of Skywalker. It was just kind of an uneventful, sleepy film. Number seven on the May the 4th Be With You rankings. I've got Revenge of the Sith. Anakin gets his butt whooped by Obi-Wan Kenobi in a great duel. And we see him turn into Darth Vader. That was a a pretty good movie. Of the prequels, that was my favorite. Number six, Rogue One. It was a non-Jedi perspective movie. I don't know if the characters were developed well enough. I don't feel like I understood who they were throughout all of it. Good story, though. I thought it was a fun movie. Number five, the last film, Rise of Skywalker. It gets criticized by critics and people who really get into Star Wars. I thought it was enjoyable. Did they miss some possibilities? Sure. It was a little odd, some of the storylines that came out, but I enjoyed it. I I thought it was a fun ending to the series. Number four on my list, A New Hope, the original Star Wars movie. Number three, Return of the Jedi. We finally found out, Luke, I am your father. I just thought there was a lot of good characters in there. 
Storyline could have been a little better, but it was a fun movie. Number two, I love Force Awakens that brought the series back around 2010. The development of the characters was fantastic. Ray, we find this mysterious, complex female in the movie. Kylo Ren, I thought was a wonderful character, a wonderful villain. Young, makes off-the-cup emotional decisions that normally backfires, but a fun character by a Mishawaka native. And to see Han Solo back in the Falcon, that was worth the price of admission. And number one on my Star Wars list, the first movie I ever saw in a theater, The Empire Strikes Back. I just thought it had a little bit of everything. You had the Hoth scenes, Luke and Vader, the lightsaber battle. Solo gets captured by Boba Fett, Lando Calrissian, Cloud City. There was just a lot of, I thought, fun things in that movie, and it tops my list as we go through the May the 4th Be With You Star Wars list. 531 is our time. Darren Pritchett with you. We'll take a timeout. We'll talk some college football coming up here in just a second. A reminder at 6 o'clock, Mike Singer talks Notre Dame football recruiting. A lot of action the last two weeks. And Mishawaka High School softball conversation with their head coach, Brian Miller, wraps up the program before South Bend Cubs baseball at 645 on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel one by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chased by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Irv Smith touchdown. Flag fire rocket touchdown. Irish. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. at WSBT. Welcome back to the program. We've spent some time this week reviewing what the college football playoffs will look like following the 24 regular season when we have a 12-team playoff. The first round will be on campus sites. You have four teams with a bye, all conference champions. And then when we get to the quarterfinals, the bowl system will provide the venues for these games. So a reminder, since Notre Dame cannot be a conference champion under the current system, the best Notre Dame could ever be is the number five seed, and they would never get a first round bye. But if you're the five, the six, the seven, or the eight, that means Notre Dame would have a playoff game in the middle of December at Notre Dame Stadium. Like a snow globe, you can just see it coming. So what happens with the playoff format using the 2022 rankings that the College Football Committee put together to decide which teams made the Final Four last year? So we told you a little bit about this last night. Now let's just have an exercise how things would be totally different with a 12-team playoff using this ranking system. We had Georgia and TCU in the national championship game. It was not even a contest. It was a first-round knockout as Georgia crushed the Horn Frogs 65-7. to And under the current system, 
we would not have had a Georgia-TCU national championship game because they would have been on the same side of a 12-team bracket. Let me explain. We'll lay this out for you and make some estimations on who would have won these games. So you start with Tulane, who gets in as one of the two remaining conference champions. Tulane, the 12 seed, would have traveled to number five, TCU. TCU made the national title game, but they were not Big 12 champions. They were knocked off by Kansas State. So TCU would have to play in the first round as the number five seed. I think TCU wins that ball game, and TCU would then go on to take on Pac-12 champion Utah in a quarterfinal, likely in Pasadena. Next up in the bracket, you've got the nine-seed Kansas State taking on the eight-seed Tennessee in Knoxville, Tennessee. 100,000 screaming fans for the Volunteers for that playoff game. That is an interesting thought. I think Kansas State might have knocked off Tennessee. Now, if Hendon Hooker was playing quarterback for the Volunteers, I'm probably going Tennessee, but Hooker was down with an ACL injury. Kansas State's defense was really good outside of their matchup in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama. They could run the ball, control the clock. I think Kansas State would have upset that Tennessee team, which means it was Kansas State and Georgia in the next round. Again, using the format for the college football playoffs in 24 and using the 22 rankings, the bottom part of the bracket would have been an at-large team, Penn State, acting as the number 11 seed, taking on another at-large team from the Big Ten, number six, Ohio State. The Buckeyes beat the Lions in Happy Valley during the regular season. I think Ohio State beats them once again, which means the six-seed Ohio State would move on to take on the three-seed Clemson in the quarterfinals. And then the most fascinating of the four first-round matchups, it would have been The seven seed, Alabama, taking on the 10 seed, the University of Southern California, who was routed by Utah in the Pac-12 title game. In fact, they lost twice to the Utes in 2022, but they still would have made the playoff. And, man, this would have been fun. Bryce Young against Caleb Williams, only the third time these two teams would have met since 1978. Two bad defenses, but I'm going to take Bama. I think they could have taken care of USC in that matchup. Bama just would have outscored them in this interesting matchup in Tuscaloosa. Bama then would move on to take on Michigan. So let's reset the quarterfinals. This is what they possibly could have looked like last year with a 12-team playoff. Your first quarterfinal, again, this is going to take place at a bowl site. And I'm estimating this would be in Pasadena. It would be the five-seed TCU taking on the four-seed Utah. And I'm going to say TCU takes down the Utes in Pasadena, getting to the national semifinal. That brings us to the nine-seed Kansas State taking on the top seed, the Georgia Bulldogs in Atlanta. Georgia playing in their own backyard. They would have taken care of Kansas State. So I've got Georgia moving on. In the bottom part of the bracket, we have the six-seed Ohio State taking on the three-seed Clemson in Tempe. I've got Ohio State beating Clemson. See, that's what's kind of rough about having to be a conference champion to get a top-four seed. Was Clemson the third-best team in the country last year? 
no, that's why I want the best 12 teams in the field, but we're getting conference champions, so it changes everything. I'm not saying Clemson didn't deserve to be in the top 12. There's just no way they were the number three team in what would be the college football playoffs in two years. Bottom part of the bracket, we've got the seven-seed Alabama taking on the two-seed Michigan. I think Bama takes down the Wolverines in that matchup that probably would have been played down in New Orleans, which is you know obviously very close to Alabama. The Tide have played a ton of games there. So I think Bama would have beaten the Wolverines in this hypothetical 2024 12-team playoff using the 22 ranking. So here's our final four. And it is the five-seed TCU taking on the one-seed Georgia. So there's your national title game from last year. It shows up in the national semifinals in 2024. TCU and Georgia would be played in Miami on Thursday, January 9, 2025. I think we can all agree Georgia's probably going to win that game based on what we saw last year. We'll put it in bold print. Georgia moves on to the title game. And then you've got a fun matchup. Ohio State taking on Alabama, the sixth seed versus the seventh seed. I had the two and the three going down in the quarterfinals. Ohio State and Bama would be in Dallas on Friday, January the 10th of 2025. I'm going to say Ohio State sneaks by Bama. Bama's defense just wasn't championship caliber. So we end up with Georgia, Ohio State which, you know what, would have been a lot of fun considering what we saw in the national semifinals last year. I'll say Georgia wins again, but that's just a little sample of what we have to look forward to after the 24 season. There's going to be some controversy again. Conference champions, Clemson the three seed, Utah the four, doesn't seem right, but those are the rules. They are going to reward conference champions, and for Notre Dame, they just have to live by the rules and hope to get to either a 5, a 6, a 7, or an 8 seed so we can have a home playoff game in South Bend. That would be a lot of fun. All right, let's take a timeout. 5.45 is our time. Twitter question of the day. Sizzler coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google play. Now back to local sports talk on sports beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. 550 at sports radio 960. WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett. Really appreciate you stopping by here on this Thursday evening. Mike Singer talks Notre Dame football recruiting coming up in just a little bit. Brian Miller, Mishawaka High School softball, will join me to wrap up the program. South Bend Cubs baseball at 645 here on WSBT Radio. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960. WSBT. Yesterday's question, Notre Dame will never be a one, two, three, or four seed in the college football playoffs because you have to be a conference champion to have a chance for a bye. Even if the Irish are 12-0 and and ranked number one by the committee, the best they can be is a five seed. Are you okay with Notre Dame staying an independent and under the current rules, never being a top four seed? 
On my Twitter account at 960sportsbeat, you answered either yes or no. I thought this would actually be more lopsided. 62% said they are totally fine with staying independent and never being a top four seed. 38% say, you know what? I would leave independence to make sure these young men who put in their hard work all year to be the best they can be, they get rewarded with where they should be ranked. We appreciate your responses. Very, very interesting. Today's question. The college football 12-team playoff will feature a bracket-style tournament just like the NCAA basketball tournament. Another option would have been you could be like the NFL and you reseed after each round. So if Georgia's number one, they would play the lowest seeded of the other seven teams left in the quarterfinal. Which would you rather see? Bracket style like the NCAA basketball tournament? Or would you like to reseed like the NFL playoffs? Vote right now on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat and we will pass along the results on tomorrow's program. Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. Quickly to our sports wagering segment. Went 2-2 two and two last night. My parlay did not hit. I was right about the Rays beating the Pirates, but the Tigers knocked off the Mets in game two, so that ended up being a loser. Cardinals-Angels under eight runs with Shohei Otani on the mound for the Angels. The two teams were at seven runs going to the ninth inning. And the Cardinal bullpen imploded. They lose 6-4, 10 total runs. Celtics minus 7.5 against the 76ers at minus 110. That worked out an easy win for Boston, 121-87. to And finally, from the Stanley Cup playoffs, I took the Hurricanes on the money line at home against the Devils at minus 120. Canes blew away the Devils 5-1. Here we go with suggestions for tonight. There's a trend. Home teams that lose game one come back and cover the spread in game two. Last 21 times in the NBA playoffs in this sequence, 19-2. and two, The home team covers the spread in game two. So let's go Warriors minus six against the Lakers at minus 110. Blue Jays and Red Sox are the only baseball game tonight. So let's go Blue Jays minus a half a run in the first five innings against Boston at minus 130. NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, the Panthers at the Maple Leafs. I'm going to take the Panthers on the goal line. You get a goal and a half at Toronto at minus 140. You bet 10, you win 17-14. And my fourth is for tomorrow afternoon. Before sports beat starts, Wrigley Field tomorrow. I'm going Cubs on the money line against the Marlins at minus 150 because Justin Steele is on the mound, and he's one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. The Marlins... Did okay against him down in Miami. Not this time. Matt Mervis is making likely his debut. Nothing will go wrong tomorrow. All right, 5.54 is our time. Sports update. Mike Singer talks all Notre Dame football recruiting news next on WSB. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. WSBTradio.com the WSBT radio app and on Twitch as Darren Pritchett talks Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated insider Mike Singer.
Well, spring practice is in the books. We're in the month of May. I think we're done with our final snowfall in South Bend for the month of May. I think we're good to go. We're going to have Georgia weather for the next few months, I think, here in South Bend. We're going to talk some Notre Dame football recruiting right now with Mike Singer, the Blue and Gold Illustrated Notre Dame football insider. You can always catch Mike and I on Budweiser's weekday sports feed and a video feed of our conversation on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. Mike, how are you today? Doing well, Darren. Hope you are doing well. Sorry that we weren't able to do this Tuesday. Um, when you're a, a full-time you know, recruiting writer like I am, things can happen and you're not available when you would like to be at, at times. Things can uh, yeah, come together and happen. And usually when we record our Tuesday show is when Notre Dame picked up a new commitment. So uh, that was that was not bad. I'm sure we'll talk about that soon. What Mike is trying to say is be humble. He's a mover and shaker. And when, you know, people want to talk to him, he talks to him. So I get it. I get it. Uh, uh, Something like you, that, right? Something. Hey, let's get to some, I guess, thoughts from you on a bunch of commitments since we had you last on the program. Let me start with wide receiver Micah Gilbert. I spent a little time on last night's Sports Beat just reviewing what Chancey Stuckey has accomplished over the last couple of years. You know, he had Merriweather in that one-person class that could have been three and should have been three. But then what Stuckey did last year and what he's building right now on paper looks very, very impressive. And it sounds like Mike Micah Gilbert could be a, a key member of this new wide receiver cycle. Darren, look at you going back a couple of years and, and reviewing and remembering the 2022 recruiting class you have. Um, you've come very far in your knowledge in recruiting. That's what happens when you hang with mover and shakers. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, Stucky has, I mean, he's been big time. He's been big time for Notre Dame, Darren. I have an article I'm planning to do sometime in the next week comparing the trio hmm. of Braylon James, Jaden Greathouse, and Rico Flores to Micah Gilbert, Isaiah Canyon, Cam Williams, the you know the latter trio, who Notre Dame has committed at receiver in the 2024 recruiting class, and I think people might be surprised. Like I think you look at the 2023 class, at least in terms of the rankings and the offers, and you know that glazing on that and be like, yeah, that's the that's the more big time class. But this 2024 cycle, or excuse me, 2024 group that Stucky and company have acquired so far. And this is before their senior seasons when they can, you know, potentially make the biggest impact on the field, um, you know, as seniors. I mean, this group is really good. I mean, on three has Canyon and Williams ranked as top 100 players overall. Um, and you have Gilbert ranked, you know, anywhere between the number 30 um, wide receiver, number 40 wide receiver nationally. If you're a top 40 wide receiver in the country, you're darn good. Like, there are a lot of good receivers out there. So if you're in the top 40, that's saying something, and that's where Gilbert is, you know, in between 30 and 40. So it's an exciting get, Darren. I mean, the offer list for him, pretty strong. Um, South Carolina, North Carolina, Penn State, Michigan, Pitt, Virginia Tech, Tennessee, um, you know, Missouri. I mean, definitely some, some strong schools, not the, the elites of the elites, um, but you're talking about this is the third receiver to commit to Notre Dame. Yeah, that, that's pretty darn good. Well, Chancey, Marcus, and the staff did a great job on Gilbert. It probably doesn't hurt that Bryce Young, his teammate, of course, 
knows all about Notre Dame. His dad, a legendary defensive lineman, Bryant Young. So on the same high school team, Micah Gilbert, Bryce Young, both committed to the University of Notre Dame. And it sounds like, Mike, that Bryce Young is just a perfect fit for this Notre Dame program and a guy that is probably not going to take too long to make an impact with this team. Talk about Brian Young. Yeah, Bryce Excuse Young. me, Bryce Young. So last week you called him. I know, here my fault. This week. And, yeah, you, you got me on that. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the young man, Bryce Young played at somewhere like 220 pounds last year, somewhere in that range. Like, you see him on film, you're like, yeah, he's pretty slim. Now, Bryce Young is around 245. That was what I was told he measured in 6'6", 245 at Notre Dame in January. So might be saying goodbye to Viper and hello to strong side defensive end um, <laughs> for for Bryce Young. Um, yeah, very exciting upside um, for, for both of these kids from Charlotte Christian. Is it fair to say, and I know we've talked about this, so it probably is, that this was going to be a very important recruiting cycle for defensive line, needed to bring more prospects and depth into the program. The last week, it sure seems like they put a dent into that. Come on, Darren, we've been doing these interviews long enough. You know my answer to that. They're all important. I mean, it's – yeah, I mean, you have to restock every year. But is it a little bit more because, you know, you look through the defensive line depth, it's kind of like, oh, you know, it could use a big class of 2024, sure. Um, but, you know, with, with Owen Wayful, who my coworker Tim Hyde just called him a tank, <laughs> um, you know, we think, you see pictures of Owen Wayful, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a dude. Um, you know, Cole Mullins, who I, I think is, I think a lot of people are going to be pretty impressed by him as they see senior highlight tapes of, you know, the Ed Rusher um, out of uh, Mill Creek in, in the Atlanta area, and then Bryce Young, and, and then the potential of adding Justin Scott, maybe Elijah Rushing, a couple five-star guys. Yeah, I mean, the, the ceiling for this defensive line class in 2024 is pretty high there. Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, joining me on Sportsbeat. And we're also videotaping on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. Well, you've got our listeners prepared for Kennedy Erlocker to verbally commit to the Fighting Irish, the son of Chicago Bears legend Brian Erlocker. And we got some good news this week on him. Yeah, not a bad name, right? Not a bad last name. Erlocker, I mean, are you kidding me? Um, wow. I mean, it, it, so many Notre Dame fans, you know, I'm guessing, or, or I should say a lot of, you know, the Notre Dame fans in Chicago, you're also a Bears fan. So to have, you know, a lot of people's, you know, favorite player growing up or, you know, favorite player they've ever seen wearing a Bears uniform or whatever it might be with, you know, Bears fans and their affinity for Brian Erlocker that, that have his, his son playing for their favorite college team, that's, that's pretty darn cool. Um, so, yeah, this was interesting, Darren. When I interviewed him, uh, I think it was the day before he announced it, about you know his commitment, he told me, well, I had asked him, like, hey, like, was Notre Dame always well, – like, when did you know? Like, was Notre Dame always kind of the team to beat? And he said, actually, Mike, like, I, I like Miami for a while. Um, uh, so – but then he took that visit to Notre Dame in mid-April. That was his first time there, and he said, blew you know any other visit out of the water like he really loved Notre Dame uh, Brian Erlocker even you know played with Marcus Freeman for a brief time while you know Freeman spent that cup of coffee in the NFL so there's a little connection there um, and yeah it's not the 
not the sexiest get in terms of the rankings. That's a three-star, pretty strong offer list. Nothing too crazy, um, but I, I think that he's I think he's going to surprise some people, Darren. And I know folks being like, "Oh, Mike Singer coming on here and pumping <laughs> up a three-star," but I mean, I'm just I'm just going to tell you guys, like, I I think that he's got a good floor and a good ceiling. Like his floor to me is like a specialist kind of or, or a niche player on, on defense you know like hey he's your uh in, in this situation this down and distance this is where he plays and a, and a good special teamer that's at worst and at best i think he's just um you know like an aloe gilman you know xavier watts like that kind of strong safety um, I, I think he's got a pretty high ceiling. I think he could be a multi-year starter for Notre Dame. Mike, for any Irish fan that might say Mike's on here talking about a three-star, let me just remind folks, did you watch the NFL draft? The number five pick in the draft was a zero-star coming out of high school. He was a 150-pound cornerback, and Devin Witherspoon made himself into a, a pretty doggone college player and number five pick in the draft. So those stars, eh. Hey, because this kid could develop into the best player in the class. You never know. You never know. Never know. Hey, that's it. That's what it is. You never know. That's right. So you hear a lot of whispers. Are you surprised Notre Dame got six commitments in like a week and a half? Is that expected? Yeah. There's always kind of these periods of the year, you know, especially since I've been doing this for so long. There's different periods of the year that you're like, yeah, this is where commitments can come. After the spring game. It's a huge recruiting weekend for Notre Dame, and a lot of kids are, like, kind of done with the process. Like, yeah, yeah, I took my unofficial visit tour, if you will, and this is where I want to be. The other one, that's a big one, is, you know, right around July 4th. You know, I always tell my wife, sorry, sorry, honey, we're not going anywhere <laughs> the weekend, you know, that week of July 4th because, I mean, I think it was last year Notre Dame had, like, four commitments in four days over that span. Um, so that's always when I think last year is kind of weird. The Irish had a bunch at the end of July. Um, maybe, you know, there, there, there is a visit week at the end of July, but you know, those are two that you definitely keep an eye on. And then, you know, some, you know, after big official visit weekends, maybe that's like the a USC home game or Clemson home game or stuff like that. You're, you're looking out to see some, some commitments happen after those big visit experiences. But, um, no, this wasn't a surprise at all, especially some of the names that came off the board. I did not expect the first 2025 commit to happen when it did. Um, but otherwise, no, nothing too surprising there. So should your wife plan a vacation over the next couple of weeks? <laughs> yeah, I'm going on a cruise at the end of the month, actually. So there you go. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Let's talk 2026 for a second. Yeah. Quarterback 2026. I think there's been at least one offer handed out by Notre Dame. I, I think I've I've witnessed a second. Maybe I'm mistaken. But tell us about Julian Lewis. Yeah, how about that, Darren? We're talking about twenty class of 2026. How old do you feel, Darren Pritchett? I've I'm so past it. I mean, the fact <laughs> that kids born in the 2000s are in Major League Baseball right now in the NHL. It's very depressing. So, yeah, Notre Dame offered a young man named Julian Lewis. Uh, Darren, I think I've been hearing about this kid since he's in the seventh grade. Really? I mean, he's kind of like the next up and coming. Yeah. 
uh, next up and coming guy, um, maybe maybe eighth grade, but he I mean he's only in the ninth grade. So Wednesday morning, I believe Gino Gaduli, you know, went to Carrollton and saw him throw. You know, this is the spring evaluation period after all, so it is a period for you know these colleges to evaluate uh, in person. Um, so you look at the offer list again. This kid's a freshman in high school, Georgia, Bama. FSU, Florida, Texas, A&M, wow. Penn State, Oregon, wow. Michigan, I mean, USC, LSU, Ohio State, Miami, Notre Dame. Holy crap. That's, I mean, he's listed at six foot and a half, 185 pounds. He's just a freshman. I mean, if Notre Dame is able to go into Carrollton, Georgia, uh, which is, um, it's on the Georgia-Alabama border, so it's close to Alabama. It's hmm. probably, what, two-hour drive to Athens, Georgia. I mean, when I say Alabama, I mean like Tuscaloosa. Or it's very close to Auburn. If Notre Dame wants <laughs> to go into Carrollton, Georgia, the land Julian Lewis, that would be maybe the biggest recruiting upset ever, Like for at least from a Notre Dame perspective. Like, this would be something else. Like, this is going to be – you know, most likely a five-star. So, like, yeah, Notre Dame is maybe offers 35 for this kid or something like that, but I don't know if they're late, right? Like, he's a freshman in high school going into his sophomore year, but uh, so Notre Dame did offer Julian Lewis, and then on Thursday, Notre Dame offered Jared Curtis from Nashville Christian School. Kind of a similar situation where you look at the top 2026 20, quarterbacks in the country. He's you know going to be one of them. Bama, Virginia Tech, Vandy, Georgia, A&M, Miami, FSU, Notre Dame. You know, just uh, you know, a handful of his offers early on. Can he really be six three, 197 pounds, Darren, as a freshman in high school? That just seems a little crazy to me. But um, wow, I don't know if they're feeding these kids this day. E- even if he's 6'2", 180. I mean, still, that's a huge freshman. Um, but, yeah, so two – the first two 2026 quarterback offers Notre Dame sent out. I always think it's interesting to talk about, you know, quarterback offers regardless of the class because, I mean, it's quarterbacks, right? Well, this is a subject I've been grumpy about for years. I love what you just told me. Seriously, Mike, I am so happy to hear what you told me. Shoot for the stars. Don't go the easy way. Find quarterbacks that you want. I don't care if they are near the Alabama border, two hours from Athens. you got to go after them. You can't just settle. And I know that's not something that Marcus Freeman's ever going to do is settle at a position. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say there. Yeah, I like it. Look, shoot for the stars, and then you're going to have people come on, on shows and tweets and whatever and be like, Oh, look at all these recruits. Notre Dame's not landing. They've offered X amount of guys and only landed a couple. It's like, no. get out of here with that crap. Like, shoot for the stars. I mean, the worst these recruits can do is say no. You know, as long as you've not just, like, wasted your time and you still have other options, then, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. For me, the shooting for the stars, sure, that, that, that's nice. But it's the how off early. Like, yes, Darren. That's that's the big thing. Yep. My first day at Blue and Gold was May first, twenty nineteen. It was almost two years from that date to when the Notre Dame offered their next quarterback. 
and it was Steve Angeli in March of 2021. Two years. Now, a lot of that was due to COVID. Notre Dame was, I think, the last Division One school in the country to offer a quarterback in the 2022 class, you know, be, because Reese and those guys couldn't get on the road. But, like, everyone else is offering quarterbacks. Like, you can do it, too. But, um, yeah, so that that was uh, – that's something else. So it's good to see the – the juxtaposition of that recruiting with now Gino Gadulli offering two class of 2026 guys after just seeing them once in person. I like it. Gino Gadulli is now my favorite quarterback coach of all time. Okay. Finally, any official visits coming up? Lots. And if you're a blue and subscriber, you know, we have a pinned thread on our, our board, the master visit list, which we have a ton um, of, you know, guys confirmed who are taking official visits. There's a couple that we confirmed this week and reported on that I wanted to share with, with our audience. Uh, Darren Paul Mankey Jr. Um, he, he's from Samuel Clemens High School in Texas. On three ranks him as the number 137 overall player, number 11 safety. The rest of the industry ranks him as a three-star prospect, but yeah, on three ranks him higher. Mankey visited Notre Dame in April, I want to say. Uh, let's see. I do believe he visited May, yeah, April 14th, and, and he'll be back uh, on campus for an official visit in early June. So, Notre Dame has one safety commitment from Kennedy Erlocker. Looking actually like a pretty big safety class for the Irish Darren, somewhere between two and four guys. Good. It's actually a fairly, it's a big number and a, and a big range. Kind of depends on how some. Some of the board shakes out. If they get Caleb Beasley as the third corner, then it might just be three safeties. But, yeah, it's looking like a big defensive back class. And then we haven't talked much about Notre Dame adding a second tight end in the 2024 class. If they do, I think the staff would be over the moon if it's Ainsworth, Nebraska, tight end, uh, Carter Nelson, number 123 overall player, number 10 player at his position. Um, this kid is, is definitely one of the best in the country. Yeah, you scroll through the offers, you know, considered a Nebraska lean for the on three recruiting prediction machine. But then he also has, you know, Georgia, Bama, Notre Dame, Tennessee, Wisconsin, everybody, right? Yeah. So this is uh, this is a top target for Notre Dame than he has been for a while. So Nelson will get to campus uh, the weekend of June 9th, I believe. So um, a couple of prospects to keep an eye on. All right, Mike, let's wrap things up by reminding Irish fans how they can be a part of the Blue and Gold family. It's easy. You, you go onto your phone's web browser or you go to your computer or your iPad or whatever, type in blueandgold.com, and uh, we'll have an offer for you up at the top of the page. Sign up and head to the loose emoji board on our, on our website and, and chat with thousands of other Notre Dame fans. It's a, it's a great place to be to communicate with uh, you know, like-minded Irish fans or very possibly Irish fans with differing opinions, <laughs> but there's always fun and moderated um lightly moderated i should say we like to let the people talk but you know discussion between notre dame fans about you know irish football college football life where to move or whatever um and uh, you get to interact with our blue and gold staff as well that's blueandgold.com and he's mike singer the notre dame football recruiting insider blue and gold illustrated blueandgold.com always enjoy the visit we'll talk to you next week sounds good thank you darren Thank you so much. Mike Singer, check him out at blueandgold.com. More Sports Beat coming up in a moment on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 
Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Thursday evening. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by Brian Miller, the head softball coach at Mishawaka High School. Of course, also a part of the WSBT radio family here as a salesperson, broadcasts Mishawaka sporting events, does a little bit of everything, and it's a busy time for him, so we greatly appreciate him taking a couple of moments to talk about his lady cavemen, who are now 7-0 in the Northern Lakes Conference, 9-4 and four overall. Brian, good to be with you. How are you? Well, it is a great day because, A, the tarp is not on the field at Baker Park. It is not, let me repeat, it is not on the field. <laughs> the sun's shining, and, uh, man, the forecast looks great this weekend. So let there be some softball and baseball, for that matter. You and I played baseball as a kid, and we know that in March – if you hit the ball on the wrong part of the bat, it's going to feel like bees are stinging in your hand for the next 10 <laughs> minutes. How about with a softball bat and a softball? Do you get that vibration issue when it's cold? Do the girls have to deal with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you if you hit it on the end, it certainly does. But I will tell you, too, these these new bats that have the uh, uh, the flat uh, bottom, if you will, to it, for, you know, the opposite side of the handle – uh, it is it's kind of like a uh, like a cutting device because we had uh, Jaden Hanley in, in batting practice the other night. She hit one off the end, got a little stinger in the hands, <laughs> but she also put a gouge in the softball that uh, looked like uh, somebody put a firecracker in there, or something like that. It was really really unusual, but uh, but yeah, you'll you'll get the bees in the hands certainly if you hit it wrong. Uh, weather the weather's uh, you know obviously a factor too, but uh, if you hit it in the wrong spot, you'll feel it. Well, you're coming off a 17-hit performance last night in a conference victory. How good has the offense been lately? It has gotten much better from where we were a year ago and from where we were in the, uh, oh, that last few days of March and the early stretches of April. We um, really struggled with the bats, and it was not so much physical. It was just probably our mental preparedness and or just our approach. And uh, it's funny because... uh, after uh, uh, shutout losses uh, to uh, an incredibly talented South Bend St. Joe team and a tough road trip uh, right after spring break down the honey to north and then a, a Thursday game against Clay, um, we were starting to wonder if maybe we need to call the manufacturers for a bat warranty or something <laughs> like that. But uh, but uh, we literally on, on that Friday the 14th uh, never picked up a ball physically, never picked up a bat physically. We sat in the classroom for a good hour and a half to two hours, and we just reviewed the mental approach to hitting, uh, some things that we needed to think about as a team and good team at bats and, and kind of uh, breaking down, a, uh, I guess, a softball-esque version of, uh, of a – you've probably seen the diagram of Ted Williams' all-time batting average where you know the ball is in different places – uh, throughout the strike zone and what his average was was obviously incredible through his entire career but we've broken that down to a much simpler factor and talk about the red zone and where in the strike zone where we want to have our our uh, you know our sweet spot and some kids like the ball up and out other like it down and in you hope everybody likes it down the middle but um, you, you try to you know break down the strike zone just in smaller segments uh, know what your favorite spot or what your hot spot is and and that's the approach we try to go when we're up in the count and then we try to expand that to limit strikeouts or or certainly cut down on strikeouts and for the most part we've accomplished that so that might have been the most uh, well spent 90 minutes or two hours of the entire season and uh, since then 
you know, and we haven't had to face Berkeley as a case since then. But since then, um, you know, a lot of our our bats have come alive, and uh, we've scored enough runs and put put the combination of uh, offense, defense, and uh, base running together. Who are some of the names of the key bats in your lineup, Brian? Well, I'll tell you right now, um, we have probably had a, a pretty solid one through six, one through five that's been fairly repetitious over the last seven, eight, nine games. Uh, sophomore Lily St. Clair has been leading off for us. Uh, she had a great year as a freshman, but she's hitting over 500 right now. In fact, hit her first high school home run. In fact, I think Dad told me it was her first ever home run in game competition. Uh, but Lily's having a great season. She is kind of a two-way player. Uh, certainly those numbers, talking 500, is, is a lot about her offense, but she's also a very hardworking pitcher that's uh, our backup to our ace, Michaela Banks. Uh, so Lily leads off. She's hit really well. Jaden Hanley hits too. She's a, a solid 300 hitter, good contact hitter, good hit-and-run candidate, and one of our better bunners on the team, and she really helped set the table then for our RBI people, which are uh, Leah Dawson, uh, Gianna Camacho, and uh, Taylor Kincaid. Uh, most of those kids, other than St. Clair, are all seniors, so we've got a very solid senior class. Uh, those three that I mentioned, Dawson, Camacho, and Kincaid, are, are really, really squaring the ball up and hitting the ball hard. Leah hit her third home run of the season last night. Uh, Taylor had her first career high school home run. Uh, last Monday over at Concord. But uh, aside from those home runs, and those are obviously great, and they look good on all the videos that Mom and Dad take, but uh, uh, we're, we're just squaring the ball up, and we're hitting the ball a lot harder than we than we were earlier in the season. And um, and then we've got some kids, you know, that are also improved hitters. Uh, Cassie Connell's uh, much improved from where she was a year ago. Olivia Beltink is really uh, – uh, found her groove in the uh, in the lineup. Uh, hits both left and right-handed. Had a really nice three for four performance at Concord last week. And uh, Bryn Lewinsky had a really really good ball game uh, last Friday in our win against Northridge. Had a double. Uh, working on her plate selection a little bit. Had a couple of walks. And uh, um, you know those those kids certainly have stepped up. And uh, uh, Lily Handbeck has been had her ups and downs, but uh, she and Mia Mason uh, add a lot to our lineup. And um, you know we've got we've got a lot of very capable hitters in, in different roles, but uh, those uh, those are the Lady Cavemen offensively. Brian Miller, head coach of the Mishawaka High School softball team, my guest. Who are the individuals you count on from your pitching staff? Well, I mentioned Lily St. Clair and and the the improvement that she's had over the. Uh, you know, the last couple of years as a sophomore now. Uh, but certainly when you talk about the circle, it's it's Michaela Banks' name that you have to mention first and foremost. She's been our ace for the last three years. Um, strong kid, works hard, is very, very coachable, and uh, she's kind of our bulldog. She takes the, the brunt of the innings. Um, she certainly gets the majority of the tough matchups, not that the uh, Lily doesn't, or uh, Taylor Kincaid, who also helps us out of the bullpen. But uh, Michaela's our ace. The kids are confident when she's in the circle. Uh, typically, two, maybe a three pitch pitcher, but she's developed a changeup that uh, she's worked very hard on the last couple of years. And that's been a really good pitch for her, uh, making her other pitches better. And, you know, when we mentioned that lineup, too, I, I got to say, uh, she has stepped up as well, had been up and down 
as a sophomore and junior at the uh, offensive side. But uh, she's learning that she can hit the ball pretty well, too, was hitting uh, the last time I ran stats, was hitting about 380 and driving in some big runs. Actually had three RBIs Friday against Northridge. She's become a really nice two-way player for us. But uh, pitching-wise, we're not going to strike out double digits, Darren. Believe me, we're we're not going to set a state record for strikeouts (laughs) in a game or a week or a month. But uh, good command. Uh, Katie Booker, who was a longtime uh, high school sports standout at at, uh, South of Washington and had a great career at Bethel College as an All-American, and former head coach at Riley, uh, she's been with us for five years now, and she uh, the pitching the pitching department that that's her that's her department, and uh, she's really helped Michaela's development and Lily's uh, maturity, and has kind of helped Taylor get back on track after not pitching last year, and um, that that's her department. She does a great job, and they they don't give up many walks. If, if you're going to beat us, you're going to hit the ball. So, really really proud of those three kids for what they do. So, Brian, it sounds like your catcher does a pretty good job of keeping things clean around home plate. <laughs> oh, the one and only Gianna Camacho. Yes, she does. Uh, she is a character, but I'll tell you what, uh, she is as talented a defensive catcher as we've had at Mishawaka High School, and I've, I've been around for a long time. Uh, yes, she's got a little mustard with uh, her performance. She's a little bit of a hot dog at times, but uh, I say that in, in all due respect. She plays the game hard. Uh, she is a true student of the game. Um, she, uh, a few years ago, decided to start carrying an umpire brush with her, and <laughs> she'll dust off the plate for uh, umpires. You know, at first, a lot of umpires would think that was uh, showboating and or possibly would be uh, uh, maybe helping them see the corner of the plate that they might have missed on a previous pitch at a previous inning. But uh, it's just what she does. She's been, uh, um, uh, I guess, you know, honored through the IHSA with uh, the exemplary uh, performance and or attitude and just good sportsmanship award. Uh, earned a couple of those last year and actually was uh, was noted yesterday for her performance down at Plymouth behind the plate. Uh, she just makes our, our pitchers better. And we've got two other very good catchers that back her up with uh, Leah Dawson and, and, and Cassie Connell. But uh, uh, G's one of a kind, and she loves to throw the ball and throw runners out and earn stickers for her helmet with that, too, for her defensive side. And, uh, uh, you know, if she didn't have a hit the rest of the season, she would still be she would still be worth her weight in gold yep. uh, just defensively what she does back there. This team has come close to winning NLC titles the last two years. They're in control of their own destiny to win a conference title this year. Past year, near misses, has that been motivation for this team? I would say yes. I mean, this is only our third year officially in the league. You know, 2020, we were hoping to have our swan song and be strong in the in the last round for the NIC. Uh, 2020 obviously didn't happen thanks to COVID. Uh, these kids, the six seniors, were all freshmen then. Uh, they all were contributing or would have contributed to the varsity level. Didn't get that chance to have that end. Then we went to the NLC. First year was kind of a getting-to-know-you process, especially with the double round-robin format. Uh, different road trips to some places we hadn't really developed any rivalries with or had any uh, history with. But uh, uh, they quickly learned that year and then in particular last year, no matter what your talent level is, you got to show up every day. Um, and, you know, last year we had uh, a couple games get away from us. A one nothing loss to Concord was tough early in April. And um, uh, a really disappointing loss to, to Wawasee, a good Wawasee team last year. Um, but that – those two losses really uh, have been some motivation and some fuel. 
um, during the off season in particular here since we got into camp early in the, in the month of March. And we know this year, as Northridge has been the, the team, the, the, the hunted for the last few years, uh, Ray Caples uh, has had a great run uh, with that group of kids and Hochstetler, who was their ace pitcher and no doubt the best pitcher in the conference. Um, they had the bullseye on their back, and now the bullseye is very large on our back in the Northern Lakes Conference. And we're getting everybody's best effort, and I'm proud to say our kids have responded in those games. Finally, are there a couple of home games worth noting before the season wraps up that people could come out to Baker to see the Lady Cavemen play? Well, I will give them a discounted ticket if they're willing to help pull the tarp on and off if we ever have rain. <laughs> but uh, uh, actually, this weekend, Darren, it's a great weekend for softball, but it's also for a great cause. This will be our annual coaches versus cancer tie-in uh, with what, what, what we call now uh, the Cavemen versus Cancer Classic. Um, again, helping raise some money, but also raise awareness for cancer and cancer prevention. And um, we will host a six-team tournament uh, Friday, tomorrow, and also Saturday all day at Baker Park. Um, we, we break things down into two different pools and very creatively uh, uh, titled the Maroon Pool and the White Pool. But uh, Mishawaka, Niles, uh, Fort Wayne Dwanger, North Miami, also Fairfield, and a very, very talented Western team who is ranked number two in Class 3A will all come to town. And there's games uh, Friday at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 6.30, 8 o'clock on the two different diamonds. And then we start at 10 a.m. and we go 10, 12, 2, 4, and 6 o'clock for the championship on Saturday. And uh, we should see some great softball. Those are very balanced teams, very competitive teams. Uh, we finished as the runner-up to Western in this tournament last year, and actually we faced them at 8, uh, 8 o'clock on Friday night, tomorrow night, in the uh, Under the Lights contest at Baker. That should be a great ball game, and um, hope fans will come out and support the cause. We'll have T-shirts on sale that uh, have been uh, purchased and provided by Midnight Press, and we'll have other fundraisers going on throughout the weekend that's all going to go to the American Cancer Society and their division uh, that's kind of tied in with minor league baseball called Hope at Bat. And the American Cancer Society has worked with us on some uh, promotional ideas and, and presents and everything. But we're looking forward to it. We've done this for a, a long, long time and every year raise uh, $1,000 or close to $1,000 or more for the American Cancer Society. So we're looking forward to doing that again. And uh, then after that, we come back next week with two big home games in the conference, Goshen and uh, then Concord come in on Monday and Wednesday. Uh, those are our uh, final two conference home games of the season, and um, we're uh, we're looking forward to those. Those will be big games. Uh, the 10th will actually be our senior night for our six seniors, and uh, then we've got one final home date on the 20th, uh, just before the sectional against a really really good Columbia City team. So that'll be uh, that'll be a really challenging tune-up before the tournament. Best of luck to you and the Lady Cavemen. Appreciate the visit. We'll see you out at Baker Park. Hey, I can sit and talk softball all day. You know that. If it's not that, we'll talk radio. Or uh, normally when we're talking, we're talking high school football and high school basketball. And Gosh, that's not going to be too far away. I'm just thankful we're not talking Major League Baseball right now. Got to go, Brian. We'll We'll talk to you later. uh, (laughs) I'll send a sympathy card to all you Cardinal fans. uh, Hey, great catching up, and I appreciate the time to promote my girls. Absolutely, Brian. We'll see you soon. All right, go Cavemen. Go Cavemen. That's Brian Miller, the head coach at Mishawaka High School for the softball program. Budweiser's weekday sports beat.
Brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, softball fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's, the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solidground for details. Thank you so much for joining me on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'll be back tomorrow starting at 5 o'clock. We'll wrap up your week with some more sports talk here on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. But right now we are going to send things out to Four Winds Field. The South Bend Cubs are continuing their series against the Colonels from Cedar Rapids. Pre-game coverage starting in a second first pitch at 7.05 on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 